Welcome to the Kickstart Garage, where we want to inspire and educate the leaders of tomorrow. Join us as we learn from the best in the business. Welcome back to the Kickstart Garage. I'm your host, Sam John Byrne. I'm accompanied by my co-host, Gavin Quigley. On today's show, we thought we'd trial something different. Uh, going forward, we're going to publish shorter episodes that address specific questions in addition to our long-form conversations with various guests. In doing so, we'll be able to dig a little deeper into certain elements we'll touch on that we touched on in previous episodes to help you build a better understanding of certain concepts. So, for instance, in um, the last episode on Bitcoin and monetary operations, I was talking a bit about the inflationary debate, which could almost be in an episode in itself. So it, it's that sort of thing. We'll, we'll we'll start these short form segments going forward to discuss um, topics like that. So with that said, um, please provide us feedback on them. Um, if you like them, let us know. If you have a question for like one of these short form episodes, shoot them over. And be be radically transparent if you are going to provide feedback, um, w- w- whatever you want to say. So if you think it's shit, tell us, um, because you know that will help us build better episodes out in the future. We won't take any offense to it, and um, that type of feed uh, feedback loop is uh, it's extremely beneficial to us. So um, anyway, getting back to today's show, um, we're going to run through five steps to getting your financial house in order. It's a it's a very Jordan Peterson type title, wouldn't you agree, Gav? <laughs> yeah, most most definitely. Uh, great book, by the way, is Twelve Rules for Life. Um, if anyone hasn't read, I definitely recommend reading it. It is fairly mind blowing. But um, yeah, most definitely. I mean, like everyone is different. That's what I would just kind of preface what we're about to go through here uh, on the show. Like we're we're all on our own journey when it comes to financial literacy. And uh, like the pursuit of financial freedom is what a lot of people are on at the moment. But I think when you take a, a topic as giant as personal finance, a topic that we are most definitely not experts in, um, but that so many people are in a position where they just don't have any clue where to start, it's handy to break it into these five different areas. You know, to get your financial house in order, as we've stated, we basically mean to like build a strategy around how you manage your finances. Um, so a ton of people are kind of thrown into the working world in their early 20s and they pick up bad money habits fairly early. And it's not really any fault of their own. They haven't been educated. Um, and it can be difficult to get out of these habits once they're, they're ingrained in you. Um, so let's start with our first piece of advice for getting your financial house in order. Yeah, so I suppose... Um... It's know where you are and know where you want to be, wouldn't you agree? Um, so like everyone has a, a different objective when it comes to money. Some people want a house. Some people want a bit of extra money in the back pocket. Some people want to retire early. And others just want to be rich like uh, our previous guest, Joe Doyle, episode nine, if you're looking. Thought I'd get the plug in there. Um, it's, it's good knowing um, what you want and where you want to be and having a plan will help you get there. Now, listen. I'm not the biggest fan of plans, but more so good financial habits. But I know they do benefit some people and they're often a pillar uh, a pillar topic in personal finance books. Um, the problem I have with many personal finance books is that they're preaching the same message in a different tone, which is fine. Nothing wrong with it. Sometimes communicating a message differently will help it click with someone else. But getting to where you want to be financially, it can all be boiled down to this simple habit spend less than you earn 
and invest the difference intelligently. And it's quite similar to, you know, like this, this principle kind of transcends. It's like, if you want to lose weight, you know, eat less than, you know, you take in your calories. So it's, it's that simple principle. Uh, it's as simple as that, literally. So you want to save for a house, spend less than you earn, invest the difference. Looking to retire early, retire early, spend less than you earn, invest the difference. Looking to get rich, spend less than you earn, invest the difference. Um, and then, and then, then the, the speed at which you want to achieve your goals, it depends on the magnitude of how much you save and how much you invest. So in other words, if you want to get there faster, save more. And you could do this by spending less, which is it's probably the best place to start because it's something very much in your control and, or you can, you can earn more, which is a bit more tricky but to do because we're all limited by time and skill sets uh, that we have available or, or, or can offer. Uh, then it's just, it's just a matter of putting your money to work the best way you know how, whether that's investing in stocks, bonds, or alternative assets. Um, it's just important that you don't lose money because it's, it's more difficult to make it back. And at the, at the end of the day, this is all common sense, but not, not a lot of people practice common sense because if, if the idea sounds too simple, then it's too good to be true or they like, but most people just haven't got the patience or discipline to stick through it. You know, it's, it's time tested. It works. And that's my financial planning method per se. So it's just, what are your thoughts, Gavin? Do you find it beneficial to plan right? Or do you, do you take a more tactical approach? <laughs> oh yes uh, indeed sam yeah so you know me when it comes to planning i'm a big believer in having a plan for for everything really i think just you know setting goals and, and measuring results i i generally think it's it's the best way to, to live your life in, in many ways because you cut out the potential for catastrophe you know one of my favorite quotes that i've said on the on the podcast before and i'd apply it to personal finances it's that and, and you know actually as well as other facts like a healthy lifestyle as well it's a schedule defense from chaos and whim you know you need to know what what time of the month different payments are coming out of your account and uh, equally as important know when you get paid know when your income is coming in having this schedule it avoids being stuck at the end of the month having to borrow or miss important bills the last thing you want is for like a bill for 300 quid to come in when you're after just after spending 50 quid on a Domino's pizza and leaving yourself stuck. Just know, just have that visual idea of what's happening. And what I would say as well is don't save what is left after spending, spend what is left after saving. So pay yourself first, you know, identify your needs and your wants, visualize them, have them all mapped out. And figure out a way to save then whatever it is, like 10% of each paycheck or whatever you can afford. It could be two and a half percent, but pay yourself first by turning it into a habit. You'll be able to get into a great routine. First of all, you'd be saving more. You'd be keeping on top of your finances when it comes to big expenditures. Yeah, just just jump back to that. So I, I love that, um, that Warren Buffett quote, uh, don't save what's left after spending, but spend what's left after saving. Uh, a great trick is to just, you know, automate your savings. I have a direct debit set up with my bank so that every month it takes 50% of my income. Um, and I put it directly into an account that I can't withdraw from without seven days notice. So it kind of stops those like, um, how do you say it? Spur of the moment, spur of the moments, you know, where you're just like, 
you want something it gives you time to think before you actually go and make that purchase it's the best way i find to stick the way best way i find sticking to to my saving habits you know and uh i'm so used to, like right now i'm so used to just living on 50 percent of my salary so it's, it's just second nature but anyway we'll jump on to the next point which is to list out um your income and expenditures and i i think this this step is to know like it's just to know your cash inflows and know your cash outflows uh, a lot of people don't like paul merriman here's here's another plug for for the people listening on episode four used an analogy that a lot of people are tap dancing with their with their debit or credit card not knowing what they're actually spending money on and a tool i use for tracking my income and, ex- and expenses is wallet by budget bakers it's about 30 euro a year and I know I, I could use Excel, but I prefer the user interface they offer. And it just it's it's very simple uh, uh, platform. It just categorizes all my income and expenses. I upload my statement. Sometimes it doesn't get them all right. And I just do a little few manual adjustments, takes two minutes, uh, prepares my income and expense reports, shows me various analytics and all that jazz. So each week I log in, um, I get my bank, Revolut, investment accounts, and I just document my inflows and outflows and see how much I've spent in a week, month or year. And I compare it to the prior period and see if there's an expense that I can cut out or reduce. I find it really beneficial for seeing the reality of my situation and how my own personal wealth is growing over time. And the key metric that I look for is how much of my expenses are as a percentage of my income, because this tells me how much I'm saving. So obviously, the lower the figure, the better if you're if you're saving is if saving is your objective, first of all. But before COVID, I think I was saving around 45 to 50% of my income. Now it's like 65 to 70% of my income. Uh, I think right now I'm I'm maximizing that metric given the current environment, just with everything being closed and nothing's going on. But I do expect that ratio to get higher when things uh, go back to normal. But I always try to keep it as low as possible. Um, I think the most important figure or the most important figure to figure out is how much your average expenses are over the next say three to five years so obviously starting to track all this stuff now is going to be really beneficial um because it will help you like knowing what this figure is gives you a target of how much say passive income you might need to generate in order to live without having to work that's why i like i track all this stuff it's it's that 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 data point i, I want to figure out because say if it's like i don't know between five and ten grand a year it's like okay well now i need to make a passive income source it's between five or ten grand a year in order to just cover my living expenses and uh then I, then i can do what do what i want so what are, what are your thoughts on that gav yeah yeah i mean you're, you're dead right um we are all individuals as well you know there's never going to be like a one-size-fits-all approach to personal finance it, it's literally called personal finance because it should be tailored to you and no one else you can uh, you can't really like expect someone who's let's say for instance renting a gaffe in Dublin city center for 950 a month to save the same amount of money as someone who's still living with their parents and only paying a couple of hundred quid a month even assuming that they're earning the same salary they're in massively different positions so you need to just look at each situation each circumstance on its own and it's because of that that like Anyone looking to improve their personal finances should just simply look at their own spending history and their regular income. Looking at what other people are doing is just so pointless. You know, another great quote by a management guru, uh, Peter Drucker, is what gets measured gets managed. And, you know, equally, 
as important <laughs> what doesn't get measured doesn't get managed it's so so simple and what i literally have and this won't be everyone's cup of tea but i've got a google sheets document so like an excel file and i fill it in anytime i spend anything or receive a payment into one of my accounts so, you know maybe this is too much for some people but by having full visibility complete transparency of my spending my earnings i know exactly what the next few months look like for me in terms of bills and my saving expectations without even having to think about it i just know anytime i like something comes out of my account anytime i make uh, a payment i just fill it in on the excel sheet now Give me a shout if you want this Excel sheet. I've sent through a few people. And I think it's a godsend. So just start measuring your spending, regardless of what way you want to go about it. Write it out, make a, a file, start using Wallet by Budget Bakers. Before long, you'll have a much firmer grip on your finances. I think, you know, once you can identify what your base expenses are, and, you know, each month you're breaking them into the categories food, rent, entertainment, education, et cetera, you know, you'll be able to figure out what percentage of income is being attributed to each category. You know, for example, like 20% of income is going on rent. That's not going to change much. Generally, 20% on food. You know, you want to kind of stick to the same amount. 15% on entertainment then, like Netflix subscriptions and stuff. I don't know whether you go to the cinema, you can't really do that these days, but you know what your average is and then you can start to work on moving towards where you want to be by identifying where your money is going. You'll be able to get a clear and concise picture of what the future looks like and really start planning for the future with actual certainty. Yeah, so um, then we'll just, we'll jump straight on to the next point because um, we're trying to keep these episodes short anyway. I know we're coming up to around 15 minutes now, so I hope it ended at 20, but look, we'll keep going. Um, so look, get rid of all debt and avoid debt like the plague is my next point. Now, obviously in Ireland, this isn't as big of an issue as it is compared to the States. Probably the most leverage item an individual in Ireland has at the moment would either be their, their home or their car. In fact... Actually, when I was thinking about this, I was wondering how much private debt was in Ireland as a percentage of GDP. And as of right now, it's around 35%, which is great um, compared to 2008 when it was around 116%, which is insane. And in the US right now, it's around 78% of GDP. And I, if for anyone who's wondering, I pulled those figures from um, trading economics. So however, if you do have debt, paying it down makes good investment sense so if if you're cutting expenses and have excess cash i wouldn't even consider investing it until that debt is paid off debt is simply pulling your future expenditure forward however in doing so you make a commitment to service that debt over the months or years and having that commitment makes those repayments uh, an expenditure that you can't easily eradicate so if you were to lose your job, those expenses would still need to be paid. It's it's not something that you can easily put on the back burner unless you get some kind of payment break. So when it comes to debt, prevent, prevention is better than the cure. And so if you can, avoid it. And remember, not all debt is created equal. There's good and bad forms of debt. So for instance, if you're leveraged up to buy an asset that produces an income stream to reliably service that debt um, and also provide you with an income, then it can make sense taking out a loan. But taking out a loan to get a car is a stupid type of debt, you know? It, you're better off saving and buying a second-hand car. Uh, it's it's also important to consider the trade-offs as well before you leverage up as as with any type of expense, to be honest. For example, if you're not in a, in a, in a place or a place job-wise that you'd like to be, 
and you take out an unnecessary loan uh, to quote Bill Burr, <laughs> you've changed yourself to the desk. And uh, Warren Buffett has also said uh, there's three ways to go broke, liquor, ladies and leverage. And so, Gav, what do, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> that's, a, that's not a Warren Buffett quote that I'm familiar with. I think I like it, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, listen, I, I mean, it's one of those concepts that you don't really learn a whole lot about in school, do you? I mean, unless you literally do business for the leaving cert or you do a business course in college, you generally go into the real world thinking credit cards are great inventions and that credit union loans are a fantastic idea. But debt is, it's something that I have been blessed to stay clear of so far in my life. I must say that and I'm, I'm openly talking from a place of privilege here. I did commerce in UCD and I didn't have to pay any of the fees myself. Shout it to my parents for looking after me there. And look, not everyone is in a position to be able to avoid debt like this from a young age. Most definitely not in places like you mentioned. I mean, like the US and the UK where college fees are, are much higher and it's kind of unavoidable. And as someone who hasn't experienced the perils of debt firsthand, all I would say is study up as much as possible before you take on debt of any kind. Avoid it like the plague, like Sam has said. And, you know, a lot of people will take it alone for a perfectly normal reason, you know, where it's kind of like a mandatory, it's a necessity. So like it could be to pay college fees or it could be to buy a car that they need to to get to work. Uh, and this debt, it can't, it, it is debt that can be easily avoided. Like there's no real simple alternative. All I would say is that when you take out a loan like this, when it is like, necessity and it's not avoidable just have a concrete plan in place for paying it off and also on top of your plan have a contingency plan just in case other expenses arise during that payback period so that'd be something like we'll go on to in a minute which is an emergency fund just to touch on what sam says like the only real good type of debt is debt that is going to turn a profit like like you mentioned sam like which is for 99 of the population then not really going to get exposure to this type of debt unless they're like landlords or they're raising funds for their business. So recognize this, like even a mortgage isn't good debt to take on. You are paying interest on a loan. That's what a mortgage is. And when it's coupled with the principal repayments, they are largely going to outweigh the initial price of the house you're buying. So as boring as it sounds in terms of advice that I would give, I'd highly recommend getting professional advice from an actual financial advisor if you're considering taking on debt or, or looking at a loan. And for those still early on in the decision maker, a great book that I would recommend to get a rudimentary understanding of what debt is, is How to Be Good With Money by Owen McGee. Fantastic book. You might know him from, uh, from TV. Uh, so study up and you'll avoid putting yourself and potentially your family in a tough position down the line. So I touched on a, an emergency fund, which, which is the fourth point, Sam. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I think the emergency fund is it's the critical bridge between saving and investing. I mean, there's no point investing your surplus funds if you're just going to be taking the, you know, the money out of the investments to pay for whatever, any emergency situations you have. You know, it disturbs the whole compounding process. And value stock uh, geek alluded to this in episode two, and you know I completely agree with him. Uh, get an emergency fund set up so you don't ha- you don't need to liquidate your investments when you need cash. Again, another simple concept, but something not a lot of people have. It's it's subjective to how big the fund should be, and 
like when it comes to choosing investments, which we'll talk about next, it depends on your situation. Uh, situation. So personally, I have six months worth of expenses saved, maybe a little more uh, given how much my expenses have decreased. And those funds are locked away in a 10-year treasury earning 1.5% annum tax-free. Yeah, and I, I know it's it's fuck all, but I can access it on seven days notice if I needed to. And putting it in a 10-year treasury was the safest and best liquid option that I could see out there. So if there is any other better options, please let me know. So, um, Gavin, dare I ask, do you have an emergency fund? <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, listen, I'm, I'm still such a novice when it comes to personal finance. I've only had my Excel sheet and I've only been properly on top of it for, you know, about kind of 12, 18 months. But what I do is, and what, what I've done, I suppose, for that time frame is I always make sure I have at least like 10% of my total asset allocation in liquid cash. Uh, so like cash or other liquid equivalents and you know, this is made up of, of cash in the bank and a couple of different savings accounts I've got. Like AAB is good because you can make multiple savings accounts and give them different names. So I've got something I, that you mentioned earlier, the, the seven-day notice account, which means I can't just take the money out. I do have to give a week's notice. And that defends me from those impulsive purchases that we're all prone to from time to time. So I leave this 10% in cash because if anything terrible were to happen, I need to remove the stress of having to potentially go and liquidate other like higher yield asset classes. And it's not just that I'm keeping a, a fixed 5K there for emergencies. It, it's that I have that 10% in cash always. So as my assets grow, I'll have more there as a cash reserve. We never know when catastrophe is going to strike. I don't even know if we'd want to know. And when it does, it's not like we know how much it's going to cost us anyway, you know recently my laptop started acting up macbook typical had a, i only had it like three three four years it's glitching a bit it was overheating 99 perfect but because i use it for work every day I, I couldn't really take the risk and i had to shell out uh like a grand and a half for a new one and it wasn't 100 necessary but i, I want to have the best tools for my to do my job properly and so i didn't really think twice uh i'll keep that as a spare use it recreationally and uh, i don't want to have the stress of my tech malfunctioning during the day because I had that 10% in cash reserves, yeah, it was painful to dip into, but it didn't affect anything other than a bank balance. You know, I, I didn't have to go and sell stocks or sell my stocks out of my portfolio or, or take a loan out. Having an emergency fund there, it's for me simply to take the stress away from a potential like future nightmare scenario. So whether I've got that 50K in assets or 1 million in assets, I'll probably always stick to that 10% just so I sleep soundly at night, no matter what life throws my way, you know? Yeah, 100% agree. So, okay, plowing on to the final point, um, figure out how you're going to put your money to work. So obviously everything else is like a setup to this. You have your surplus funds from whatever you've been saving. You have your emergency funds set up. You're, you First, you're tackling your debt. And once you get past that, this is the bit where you want to get your money working for you. And Rob, Robert Kiyosaki he is a great saying when it comes to money and this is probably where it first stumbled upon the whole ideology behind it's like don't work for money get money to work for you and what he's alluding to here is taking the surplus funds you have from investing and inve sorry uh, taking the surplus funds you have from spending and investing them so that money grows over time as i've just reiterated there so now, now there's there's countless ways you can invest and invest that money and it it really depends on your situation so for instance if 
if you're looking to buy a house within the next year, it's probably not a good idea to go putting your surplus funds in the stocks because of the volatility. Um, and to, like, vol- like it's it. So if a stock stock or an index had a downturn tomorrow, there's there's no uncertainty as to when it might rebound. You know, so you might you might be forced to sell at a loss. So when it, like, and obviously sometimes like you're, if this is the case, if you, if your emergency fund doesn't co- cover your emergency, you know, you might have to liquidate those assets. So, um. your timeline also is is a point of consideration so when it comes to determining where to invest your funds i think you should ask yourself these questions so will i need the fund it funds in the next one three years that's the timeline i just alluded to there and how much risk can i afford to afford to take um what's my investment objective and do i understand what i'm investing in and then obviously you know there's behavioral tolerances and all this type of stuff you know and how you react to seeing like drawdowns in your money and all that kind of jazz so obviously this is something that you know it would require you to do a bit of homework on because but asking these types of questions you know will help guide you as to where you're going to put your funds and remember you don't need to put all your your funds in one place when it comes to investing it's really not a one size fits all and it's it's like gavin mentioned to mentioned earlier it's it's called personal finance for a reason personally when i invest i look first uh, you know the low risk or risk-free environment to see what kind of a return i can get there remember there was a time obviously before us before we had a chance um so anyone who's familiar with history when bank deposits they had a yield of nearly 12 percent and now you would would you like now would you rather put your money now would you rather put your money there or you know in in the stock market that averages seven percent you know i take the bank deposit firstly you know if if it's still yielded 12 percent. so obviously obviously not now you're you're not earning uh you're earning nothing uh on bank deposits in in real terms but it's it's a starting point you know and so i start from there I, i and i work my way up through the risk environment and you know then just look to you look to stocks bonds or alternative investments to try find one that offers the best best uh, risk return ratio um given given whatever situation or um, economic environment you're in so what are your thoughts gav mm, yeah god imagine 12 percent just to have your money in, in the bank now i mean it's just such a different universe and literally unless you've got a phenomenal job or you you own like a you're running a really profitable business you are only going to lose money through inflation by keeping your money in the bank again you know a financial advisor would be a great investment here because they can guide you they can give you that personalized counsel on how to put your money to work once you've cemented a good saving routine like all saving and investing should really be made with the long term in mind and so i would say like a pension as boring as it is is generally your best bet from my understanding but like you say with the first question you need to ask yourself is are you going to need these funds in the next few years like a pension will not be the right vehicle for you if that is the case will it i mean i have most of my money in etfs at the moment so they're exchange traded funds literally funds that are traded on an exchange, like kind of like index funds that mimic the market. And so I know they'll generally do that kind of 7%. Now, I have to pay 41% tax mandatory disposal every seven years, which is a bit of a nightmare, but I'm comfortable having my money in that asset class because I've, I've done you know my, a decent amount of research and I understand it. And I know it's better than keeping my money in the bank. But this is why professional counsel is so important because, you know, 
literally everyone is different. Everyone has different liquidity preferences and risk tolerances. And so you need a plan that will fit your personality. Like Sam mentioned, Paul Merriman, who we had on the show, asked Paul on Instagram, he was saying when we had him uh, on podcast, how are you likely to react when there's a significant market drawdown? A lot of today's investors, the likes of the Robinhood, GameStop investors don't know because they weren't investing in 2008 when there was the last significant drawdown um, other than March 2020 where there was a quick bounce back. So like, let's say you lose that 40%, like Sam mentioned, you don't know when that is going to bounce back. It could drop down 40% and take a couple of years to get back to initial levels. You might have to sell at a loss. These are the questions you need to ask before you go near the stock market anyway. And again, you know, it, it just comes down to having a plan of action, understanding those potential outcomes of investing in any of the, the many asset classes that you're looking at. I would also always really recommend diversifying if you are looking at different types of assets. Having the long term in mind for sure always keeps you keeps the emotion out of it. Like if you're 25 years old and you have 10 grand in the market, as long as you are planning to leave it for a few decades and you have your, your liquid cash or you have your, your emergency fund, who really cares about what happens in the short term? You shouldn't. And if you do, you shouldn't have your money there in the first place. The less emotional you are and the more objective you can be when you're making this investment plan for yourself, the, the better off you'll be. What I'd also highly recommend just to, to finish up, I suppose, is getting like an accountability partner. You know, if you're planning out your strategy for staying on top of your finances, find someone who is in the same position as you, or even better, someone who's slightly ahead of you in terms of the personal finance, financial literacy, and work together to stay on top of things. There's significant benefit in right now your financial goals together and holding yourself to your commitments. And, you know, like having those like-minded people to chat with, it really get you motivated and, and dedicated to the cause. And you can really keep yourself on track, avoid emotion and impulse taking over. I actually recently read a quote that the American Society of Training and Development found that people are 65% more likely to, to meet a goal after committing to another person. And on top of that, their chances of success increase to 95% when they build in ongoing meetings with their partners to check in on their progress. So think about that. You know, it's a, it's definitely worthwhile to find someone who's on the same path as you and, and stick to it together. So just to leave it, to finish up, I would say learn as much as you can, you know, read books, watch YouTube videos, learn from people who are successful in the field. And what I would always say is, you know, financial advisors is your best bet. You can use them. You could use a friend, use a family member, tell them what you want, what you're going to do, what your plan is. And then make sure you stick to it. That's my advice. Fair play. All right. I guess we'll uh, wrap it up there. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. And uh, if you have any questions, be sure to uh, shoot them over to us. Um, if we can't help you, we'll be able to put you in touch with someone who can. So um, if you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to be notified of the latest episode, um, be sure to sign up to the email. We'll leave it in the description of this episode. Or you can follow us on social media, whether it be LinkedIn, Facebook, or um instagram uh at the the kickstart guard but um well that's that's it for now we'll we'll catch you in the next one thanks for listening to the kickstart garage this show is for entertainment purposes only this show is for entertainment purposes only no one on the show has provided investment advice the information provided by the kickstart garage podcast should not be construed as investment advice the opinions and views expressed on the kickstart garage podcast or those of the participants do not reflect those of the host or sponsors 
Kickstart Garage, its producers, sponsors, hosts and guests shall not be liable for losses resulting from the investment decisions based upon the opinions or viewpoints presented on the Kickstart Garage.